What's up, everybody? Welcome to the third episode of The Crossroads, celebrating 20 years of the Xbox brand. My name is Ryan Turford, and this is the show where we're counting down the months to the 20th year anniversary of the original Xbox with 50 of the best games to play on the console for both new and experienced owners. We dive into the brief history of each game and talk about what makes them awesome. As always, we'd love your feedback on this and all of our shows over on Twitter at the Xbox Drive, or you can reach out to me directly anytime at Ryan Turford. Now, the fighting genre is actually very well represented on the original Xbox, and I had no uh, no shortage of games to choose from for this particular list. Uh, but this one obviously was actually pretty seminal with the launch of the original Xbox. It actually came out the same day of uh, November 15th, 2001, if you can believe that. And that game, of course, folks, is Dead or Alive 3. Now, Dead or Alive is a very, very, very different series and that's known for different things and not so much for the fighting uh, or for the game itself. It's known for other stuff, but we're again, not going to dive too into because, again, it doesn't really pertain too much to, to Dead or Alive 3 in particular, because I do think that it really escapes that trope of kind of what people think about Dead or Alive today. But uh, it was actually a really interesting story of how Dead or Alive actually came to be on the original Xbox and how it became an exclusive. So, of course, the Dead or Alive series started all the way back in 1996 in arcades uh, with the original Dead or Alive. Um, it also came to Sega Saturn a year later and then PlayStation one uh, about a year and a half after that. In fact, we never saw the uh, Sega Saturn version of the original game here in North America. Uh, you actually have purchased that as an import, essentially, um, versus the PlayStation 1 actually was released here in North America. And it was actually a very popular game in Japan. So it actually got a sequel in 1999 with Dead or Alive 2 in arcades. And then a year later, it came to the PS2 and the Dreamcast. Um, and it, again, took more of the, the formula from the first game and kind of Emptied up a little bit, uh, but the first game and the second game were actually, again, pretty popular, and it was kind of cool to see them actually get a release on the original Xbox in the form of Dead or Alive Ultimate, which was a, a two-pack that contained both one and two. Unfortunately, here in the video, I'm only showing you Dead or Alive 1 because I'm actually missing the, the second game. Um, I just don't have a, a copy of it, but uh, either way, these games are super fun, and in fact, if you go back and play Dead or Alive 2 on the original Xbox, they did a whole bunch of enhancements with the game. They did it in the Dead or Alive 3 engine, and it actually looks really, really, really good. Um, and it's actually a pretty strong contender. Like, I think it's a, it's a great pickup if uh, you're looking for a fighting game. But ultimately, the choice that I went with for, the, for today's list, of course, as I mentioned, Dead or Alive 3. Again, very, 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 very different from the modern Dead or Alive games as far as, again, the way that you uh, kind of perceive them. But... The, this was actually a really important game at the release of the original Xbox. Like it really um, was the the big definitive exclusive fighting game for the console. However, it didn't really come to arcades or anything like that. It was exclusive to Xbox. But how exactly did this all come about? Because it's actually kind of a crazy story. Because again, Dead or Alive, as I mentioned, was a big series in Japan but not here in North America. So why would they decide to actually make um, them at, at uh, Tecmo actually decide to make this series exclusive to Xbox? And this all actually comes down to the launch of the original Xbox. Microsoft was really looking for exclusive games on their console um, across all genres, whether they're fighting games, racing games, and they didn't really have like a North American fighting studio or anything like that. Um, and this, you have to remember too, this was before they really had 
rarer and full string. So we didn't have like killer instinct for them, for example, for them to pivot off of. Otherwise, honestly, if they had rare at the time, they probably would have developed like a killer instinct sequel that was exclusive to Xbox at the time. Um, but obviously that deal wasn't in place yet. So, um, they actually reached out to, uh, to team Ninja, the studio that was actually developing the dead or alive games at the time, uh, led by Tobinobu Itagaki, who was, uh, basically the, the, uh, director. He also led Team Ninja. He's known for basically directing all their games, including the Dead or Alive series, as well as the Ninja Gaiden games. And what Itagaki decided to do was he decided to accept Microsoft offer because basically the Xbox was being primed as the most powerful console of this generation of consoles. And Itagaki famously talked about how he wanted to always develop the Dead or Alive games, uh, whether it was one or two, or even the third one, on the most powerful hardware available at the time of the release. And uh, when he heard that the Xbox was going to be the most powerful machine, um, that's when he decided basically to fully shift Team Ninja to being a Microsoft exclusive studio to the point where uh, beyond Dead or Alive 3, we've also got the other Dead or Alive games that came afterwards, again, two of these, you're wondering why are these in my collection? They don't need to really be here. But I mean, Dead or Alive Extreme Volleyball 1 and 2 were exclusive, as well as the, the follow-up, Dead or Alive 4, as well as uh, both Ninja Gaiden 1 and 2. And really, it was up until 2007's Ninja Gaiden 2 that the studio really shifted away from being an Xbox-exclusive studio. But for we had a good six-year run with Team Ninja games from... Um, that were all exclusive to the original Xbox or just the Xbox brand in general. So it was actually really cool to see a big prominent Japanese studio like Tecmo, uh, because again, Team Ninja was a part of Tecmo, essentially. They were one of their development studios, really become a, a Japanese exclusive brand on Xbox. And I mean, again, that when you when you look at Xbox today, and how much they're really missing that type of relationship with a Japanese studio. It was so cool to see that with the original Xbox that they were able to get uh, a developer like that. And that that's how other relationships came about, like from software, for example, which was also really exclusive to Xbox for a long time, as well as other Japanese studios. So, yeah, it's just cool to look back on that. But again, we're here to talk about Dead or Alive 3. So let's get into the discussion right now. Now, the story in Dead or Alive 3 is literally all over the place but I'm gonna quickly sum it up here for those that haven't played it. There's a third Dead or Alive tournament that Ryu, Ayane, and Hayate, who are all ninjas, all decide to enter in order to stop a new superhuman developed by DOA Tech called Omega. Omega was once the leader of the Mugen Tenshin Ninja Clan and is Ayane's adopted father. He must be stopped or apparently bad things are gonna happen. Yeah, again, the story's kinda all over the place, but you have to keep in mind that unless you're a modern Mortal Kombat reboot or a Soul Calibur game that was released after Soul Calibur 6, or unless you're a game from Arc System Works like Blaze Blue or Guilty Gear, you're not really playing fighting games for the story. I mean, the, the story very much is as an afterthought, and especially, again, with a game like this back in 2001, it was very much an afterthought. I mean, the, the story is there. It's very loose. It's just there for you to actually give you a reason why all these characters are fighting each other. The story mode in Dead or Alive 3 plays like your typical arcade mode as you select a character of your choice and battle six different enemies before taking on Omega yourself. It's short, and each character has a unique ending depending on who you completed the story with, and it gives you a reason to replay it with all the different characters to basically see all the different endings, even though the canonical ending is actually Ayane's, surprisingly. Uh, Ayane 
uh, which is cool because Iona is actually my favorite Dead or Alive character. And it was actually cool to see her kind of be the star of the show in this game. Uh, again, it kind of the, the final enemy, uh, he's very much um, her adopted father. So again, it's a very personal story for Ayane. And and yes, it's not really that deep and doesn't really go into it too much. But again, there's lore that it kind of connects all these games together. And again, it's a reason for the, why you're actually fighting all these characters together. However, where Dead or Alive 3 really shines is its other modes and its head-to-head -head gameplay. The Dead or Alive fighting system plays pretty similarly to other 3D fighting games, but with a small twist, and that twist, of course, is the counter system. In addition to blocking, you counter your enemy's attacks by pressing a combination of block and a directional input matching where the attack is coming from, which will essentially have you throw the enemy for various points of damage. And again, the throws that you do from counters will depend on, number one, whether it's a high attack, low attack, or medium attack that you're countering, but also the character itself. For example, certain characters are more built around the counter mechanic than others. For example, like Bayaban in particular is a character that is all about throws and counters, and he does a ton of damage if you do throws and counters, whereas his hand-to-hand -hand attacks are a little bit weaker, and, and that balance is really dependent on each individual character, which, is, again, is super neat. However, countering is a double-edged sword, as using the incorrect directional button will not only cause you to take a hit, but it also causes the attack to deal double damage. This leads to matches being a little more focused on strategy and trying to predict your opponent's movements rather than button mashing. I personally really enjoy this approach to strategic 3D fighting, and it really feels very different from other 3D fighting games. And uh, again, it feels a lot less button mashy than a lot of the games. I mean, sure, you can button mash if you want, but anyone who's been playing the game for a while has probably got a lot of the moves memorized. So they actually have a big leg up on you uh, with the counter system, which again, kind of really reinforces the idea of player skill being a big part of Dead or Alive, which has really been something that's always stuck with the, the series from the very beginning. And it's something that I've really appreciated about the series uh, when you compare it to other 3D fighting games like Virtual Fighter or Soul Calibur. Like I think the skill cap, I think is much higher on a game like this than some of those other games. But again, there are different uh, variables when, when you compare all that stuff. It's not co like comparing apples to apples kind of thing. Um, and we'll talk about that more when we'll talk about Soul Calibur at some point later on in this list. Beyond the story mode, you'll also have a survival mode, a time attack mode, as well as a tag team mode that rounds out the package, giving you lots to do whether you're playing alone or with a friend. As with any fighting game, you'll get much more out of the experience with a friend to play with, and Dead or Alive 3 is a lot of fun to play. Visually, the game was state-of-the-art for the time it was of its release, and almost 20 years later, it still looks and runs really great. I mean, it doesn't run above 480p. Um, it does run at a very low resolution, but again, if you've got an original Xbox, it still looks really good, surprisingly. Like, again, it was a state-of-the-art game when it came out. Again, there was no games at the time really doing visual fidelity, especially in a fighting game uh, like this one was. The, the environments, the character models themselves, um, even just the artistic look of the game, I think really pops off screen. And it was a big step up over Dead or Alive 1 and 2, which I think um, were more more primitive. They were, but again, you have to remember also, they were on the PS1 or again, the Dreamcast, which again, were just less powerful consoles than the original Xbox, whereas this game was really built with the original Xbox in mind. And again, it was a big deal when it came out. All these years later, we've had a ton of other Dead or Alive games, but honestly, Dead or Alive 3 is actually a really great fighting game, even when you compare it to its later incarnations. It's got less characters than something like Dead or Alive 4, um, but ultimately, I think 
it might be a better game when you go back and play it today. Um, again, it's got less modes, but if you've got a friend uh, or if you're someone who's actually new to fighting games, I think, especially 3D fighting games, and you want to see kind of the roots of where it all started, then I think Dead or Alive 3 is a great pickup. And again, a fairly cheap game to find. Again, this is the Platinum Hits version that I've got here, um, but you've also got the original version. Um, unfortunately, here in North America, we did miss a little bit of content that was added specifically in the European and Japanese releases of the game with some extra costumes and some other um, visual accoutrements that were added to that version that unfortunately didn't make it in the Platinum Hits version. So it is something to keep in mind. There actually is an Xbox, uh, original Xbox magazine disc that was actually included in like a 2002 edition of the magazine that actually included all those upgrades that you could actually install to your Xbox hard drive and they would basically work into Dead or Alive 3 when you played it. But uh, unfortunately, unless you want to track down one of these discs now, you've just got to settle for, for this version of the game as is. Now, if you're looking to pick up Dead or Alive 3 today and play it, it is playable on the original Xbox, but it is also compatible with the Xbox 360 without any issues, as far as we know of. Um, I, I scoured the internet to try and find reported issues because I didn't find any when I was running it, and nope, no one's really reported anything. However, uh, with the Dead or Alive Ultimate that I talked about with 1 and 2, um, if you try and play some of these games on 360, you will actually run into some issues with this opening cinematic, but once you get beyond the opening cinematic, you can either just skip it and, and you can bypass the issue completely because it just crashes um, the game, um, or you can just play the cinematic and a lot of times it'll work. But otherwise, it plays pretty flawlessly as well. So honestly, these are great pickups if you have an Xbox 360 as well. That's all for this episode of The Crossroads. You can hit me up on Twitter anytime at Ryan Turford. You can also find the Pantsman himself on Twitter at Sean Capri or us on Twitter at The Xbox Drive. Thank you so much for listening or watching to this episode of The Crossroads, and we out. Bye.